0: Welcome back to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bubble, with me once again, uh, 411's Steve Cook. As uh, Steve, we're actually wrapping up kind of the, uh, I guess, the A&E biographies uh, we are going to be officially done with when we talk about Bret Hart. Uh, But we've got another half of the season uh, on The Dark Side of the Ring, Season 3, which uh, the Dynamite Kid episode is sort of the mid-season break return later this year uh, with the other episodes, uh, quite a few, well, I think they've got six, seven left uh, in the, the second half of the season, so um, it's we, we've been on quite a, quite a roll here uh, talking about all these uh, documentaries, looking at uh, a lot of these different stories, and we do wrap up with two that uh, sort of had a little bit of a connection when you talk about uh, family and, and that type of stuff, certainly their their profession, but... Um, As always, let's start with Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, We actually may spend more time on the Brett one Uh, with this one. I I was very fascinated by the Brett A&E one, but what would you think? Dynamite Kid, uh, as we said going in, we kind of knew the the type of person that he uh, ended up being, but uh, it was uh, pretty much on full display here in this Dark Side of the Ring episode.
1: Well, it's interesting the connection between Brett and Dynamite Kid. Of course, they were married to sisters. Uh, Julie and Michelle, of course, both sisters. Uh, Julie one of the people and made appearances on both the uh, Dark Side of the Ring and the biography this week, which kind of surprising the last time I heard from Julie. She and Brett were on the best of terms. I guess things are better now, so that's that's good to hear. As far as the Dark Side side of the Ring goes, I mean, I'll tell you about my personal experience uh, watching wrestling as a Die My Kid fan. Die My Kid came along a few years before I was watching wrestling. I was just at that age where I started watching wrestling when I was six years old, 1990. Dying My Kid was out of the mix. So when I saw the British Bulldog, Baby Boy Smith, I didn't know there was like two British Bulldogs because when I was eight years old, I was not like trading tapes. There wasn't internet. <laughs> internet. Right. I couldn't go back and watch. I didn't know about the Heart Foundation, British Bulldogs and all that stuff. I just knew about uh, the British Bulldog, Baby Boy Smith. And eventually I learned a little bit about this Die My Kid. I see some stuff. And I remember, I, I don't remember where I heard about the Die My Kid book. He he wrote he wrote his, wrote his autobiography. I don't remember where I heard about it, but I did see it at the store one day, and I purchased it and I read it. And while he didn't quite, you know, that not all the details were in there. Of course, there's a lot of stuff he left out. But even the stuff he didn't leave out, he didn't come off like the best person. Uh, no. to, I don't know. He just seemed like the kind of guy that enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, stirring stuff up. Enjoyed. Getting the fights, enjoyed pulling pranks on people. You know, enjoyed being a nuisance pretty much. And while he was a great technical wrestler, and I've you know I've seen a lot of his stuff, of course, as I do three years. And yeah, he was an influence. Just like uh, he was an influence on wrestling. He influenced guys like Chris Benoit, guy, all these guys that came after him, like guys like uh, Lance Storm, who appeared in the show. Lots of lots of those fellas influenced by Dynamite's. Mick Foley oddly influenced by Dynamite. I Dynamite beats him up one time and Foley's now like his biggest fan. <laughs> kinda weird. <laughs> kinda weird how that all worked out. But yes, yeah, so I wasn't surprised you know I wasn't surprised you won the best guy. I kinda of misremembered things a little bit because I thought see the the whole CN they did this whole thing and I'm kinda of diving way ahead into the show. But they pretty much told us about how the CNN show about the wrestlers and domestic abuse and yeah. how Michelle appears in that show. And it's like right before she appears in that show that she finally tells her kids about it. And that's how they found out. I mean, I guess uh, uh, the youngest didn't know it all because she was still in the womb at that point. But that's how they found out. And I found that kind of strange because I I knew I, I had read about before. I knew I had read about the Dynamite's issues of Michelle and I was trying, and I thought it was in Dynamite's book, but actually, I look back tonight, I look back and not quite put the same way in Dynamite's book, but I figured out when I looked over towards Brett's book, hmm. ah, wow. Brett's book, that's where I found
0: out. About I wouldn't have thought about because, that, yeah.
1: Yeah, because of course, you know, Michelle and Julie were sisters, so of course, he would have heard about all that stuff. So yeah. that's how I knew about that, and I guess uh, Dynamite's daughters did not read Bret Hart's book. <laughs> which, you know, it was probably for the best, yes. probably for the best anyway, to be honest with you, because we'll get into bread a little bit later on. But So that I found that all kind of strange. Um, I was impressed with some of the names they dug up for this. Um, we had uh, Scott McGee, uh, noted noted wrestler back from Danny Spivey, yep. a longtime friend of Dynamites. Uh, Meltzer also did the uh, two for this week, appeared on both shows. He had Foley there saying his praises a bit. I thought it was funny that Lance Storm pretty much appeared one time on the show, and that was it.
0: Yeah, that was it for Lance. Lance had his piece, He
1: got in, he got out. Yeah, so. Yeah. Didn't have much to say afterwards, but... Uh, so, and Jacques Rougeau. Oh, of the course. Jacques Rougeau story. And there's a bit of discrepancy, depending who you ask, on what exactly happened to lead up to it. Well, not, that part's not really disputed. What's disputed is whether Jacques Rougeau had a rule of quarters... Or if we had some brass nuts, yeah. Dynamite will tell you brass nuts. His friend will tell you brass nuts, and Jacques will say roll of quarters. But at the end of the day, the whole thing pretty much seems to have ruined Dynamite's kid's life. But Dynamite already ruined lives before, then. So what the hell?
0: Yeah, it's um. I mean, it, it's sort of a very. I mean, you talk about all the connections, like just tying everything together, and all the different stories. You know, you got the ones like you said. You you know, you talk about sort of the friendship he had with with Dan Spivey and, and McGee and others. Um, and, and then you go into the family stuff with Michelle and Julie and, um, you know, then like you said, you got Jacques and the, the Dino Bravo connection and like all this other stuff. And there's just, there's so many of those different things that you could kind of gather. And I, I had to look back. So the Dynamite Kid book was published in 1999. I want to say that I was probably like you, like I probably just saw it in a bookstore. I, I want to say I I read it probably around, this is just a pure guess on my part, but I want to say it's probably like 2002 or so. And I remember sort of forming the same opinion. Like I had seen this guy and you know, you would, of course, at that point, you know, we, we didn't have the information at our disposal as we do now in terms of just being able to log on and and find anything you want. But um, it was a little bit tougher back then, but it's like, you know, you had sort of formed an opinion watching his matches, but like when you actually read the book, it's like, whoa, like this guy, like it was much different than reading, you know, that book and reading some of the others, you know, like the, um, you know, the, the Foley ones and even the ones that like WWE put out back then, which we know for the most part, like the Rock one and the Angle one and like ones like that were just, they, they were very different. Like they weren't sort of your, um, you, could, you weren't going to compare those to Foley or anything, but I think even just like reading dynamite kid's book you were just sort of like boy there are some things in there that that certainly just were not right and and were very off just in terms of kind of what had led him to that point in his life and and i think you pretty much saw all that throughout this just the twists and turns and and really just i mean the most glaring part of this whole thing was um, michelle talking about you know all the the different interactions she had with him and you know him getting mad at her for not drinking and that leading to you know, him threatening to run head on into cars and then shoving her into a closet. Like, those are the things that I think above everything else, it's just like, that's where if if you want to know why some people sort of form that opinion on Dynamite Kid, um, there you go. Like, those are certainly some of the reasons why.
1: And the, the interesting part to me, it's, it's always the interesting part to me about these relationships and how these things go. And, you know, I've never been part of it, that type of relationship. And I'm sure a lot of you out there probably have been. And I don't want to speak for anybody that ha- that has been, but it seems like in a lot of these stories, the uh, the person that's being abused, there was a, a love there at some point. There's still a, a kind of a love that never never goes away. It's just it's tough for a lot of people to just kind of um, I, I don't know. It's again, it's tough for me to really expound on this too much because I've never been involved in something like that. But right no. here, you see Michelle, and she kind of she talks about it, but then she kind of excuses it, and she does note that diamite at least had the common courtesy to stay away like eventually he went away he went back to england he stayed there for good he didn't come back because he knew that was for the best for their kids and it probably and was best for their kids from what we can tell they seem to be uh, rational human beings which is always a positive and and michelle does does also make the good points and it's one that's that we kind of have to take into account for a lot of these wrestlers. uh, uh You know, there's there's always CTE, yeah, con- concussions and drugs, and there's just these things. And especially a guy who worked the style of Dynamite Kid worked. I mean, we yeah. all know the Chris Benoit story, right? I mean, we know Chris, what what led what Chris Benoit did and what kind of led to it. And you could kind of say same thing for Dynamite Kid. I mean, Benoit basically worked Dynamite style. And I guess you could give Diamond Kid credit for realizing that, hey, maybe I should get out of. Maybe I should just stay away.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's um, th- there are a lot of layers to it, like you said, and and like you mentioned, sort of with the relationship part. Of it, like, there's such a deep part of that, you know, that gets to your psyche. I mean, like like you, I mean, I I haven't been a part of anything like that, and and as you said, it's it's really hard to to place yourself in in that particular situation, but. But like we know, I mean, just hearing others talk about it, and and we've you know we've talked about these situations before with, um you know whether it's Dark Side of the Ring or other documentaries and such or such or anything like that, um you always hear kind of that recall is just that hey there was something about that sort of mental part of it that is you know it is that connection it is that that love you have for someone else but it's it's just like it is such a a very difficult thing to sort of process and. And ultimately, you know, put yourself in that position to to figure out what the what the next move is or what the right move is. And and as you talked about, I mean, that's where you did hear Michelle sort of say, look, if there's one thing I, you know, she will say was that he did eventually decide, hey, I'm just gonna stay away. And and that was obviously something that she felt was certainly in the best interest of not only her, but for her kids. Um and and yeah, I mean it's we've talked about it so much at this point with the and we've said it, like, with, you can go back to all the different people we've talked about, really just even some of the ones during this season, like, you know, Pillman and Ultimate Warrior and different ones like that. Um, the grind of sort of the way the schedule used to be and, and just, you know, the travel and, and everything that goes along with that. And, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit with Brett later, because that was one of the things that, you know, we had brought up just the being away 300 plus days a year. Like, it's just, that's not normal for anyone. And especially. When you're now, you know, you're a public figure who is doing all this stuff, but you're not just like, you know, you're not just going out and and sitting in a chair or something. Like you're going out and putting your body in a position to where it is just going to get beaten night in and night out, and and that's what we've said so many times. I mean, that's you know, you go up and down the line. Unfortunately, when you look at wrestling's past and and all the other stuff, like we know the the grind of what it did to a lot of people. Unfortunately, there is a countless number. Of people at this point that we can refer back to and say well that got him because of that part of wrestling or this part of wrestling um and it ultimately you know turned into his downfall and that's what i think we saw here where it's you know uh, who knows like you know and we can play the what if game all you want but it's just like who knows how different it is you know if if things aren't this way with this type of schedule and all these other things but i think you also saw in there that this was, you know, a guy that has at times did not have the best of intentions. And was that just because of wrestling or was that just, you know, the personality he dealt with? And I think one of the things, um, who was it? Someone had mentioned maybe thinking back and wondering, you know, with dynamite, like, was it something where he just, I don't know, like just wondering if like as a child, like all these different things, like he just felt like he was um, I'm not sure, but I think sort of Mick Foley sort of brought up, you know, the, the early days and that kind of stuff. And th- there's just a lot of different things. I think it's hard to pinpoint one thing and say, that's why dynamite kid wound up turning out the way he was just because as we know, in wrestling, there are so many different reasons you can point to, especially, uh, with some of those guys during that era.
1: It does seem like one, I mean, the back, uh, it seems like a couple points where there was obviously a turning point. The back operation being one where in yeah. 1986 where he has back injured and they had, give the, they had to give the tag team titles up to the heart foundation and after that back operation Dynamite kid couldn't be a sam wrestler he could he could he could still have good matches but he couldn't quite get to the Dynamite kid of old and that was something that bothered him and the incident of jacques Rougeau which we mentioned where he after years of being the guy backstage who you know got to people and wasn't gotten to he was finally gotten to by somebody and he could not get back at Jacques Rougeau because he believed and we, and you know, there's discrepancies on this as well, whether or not there's a connection between the Rougeaus and uh, the the Montreal mafia yeah. and Dino Bravo and all that stuff. And, but the bottom line is that uh, dynamite and Michelle believed as well that uh, if dynamite tried to get revenge on Jacques, that uh, the mafia is going to have something to say about it.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was and it's obvious that that was something that really got to die my kid. And I think it really shaped the, the, how the later years, years of his life went.
0: Well, and, and as we've said so many times, like, let's be honest, too, like the steroid thing is well documented at this point in terms of um, just looking at, you know, like you said, you go back to some of the injuries and the things he dealt with and um you know that was something and i mean even like dan spivey like that's what he was talking about he was just like look this is and they were showing all the um you know i thought again i always say this with dark side of the ring but they do a really good job with sort of the visual aspect of it too and you know they were showing just you know the board of of all the steroids, like there's just so many different things, and I think those comments from Spivey just talking about you know steroids, that's just something we did, and it was just um you know that was the nature of the way things were, and, and as we said, we could point out a lot of different examples uh, of that, but that was something um you know that that was certainly pretty much an obvious thing, but I think that that also plays into you know some of the other aspects um when we talk about what the potential ramifications are. Uh, from that and uh, I mean it's just yeah I, I think you, you were right like the the turning points the different ways and it was just like it just completely changed this guy uh, in some senses and you know I mean even going towards the end of the documentary where they're talking about you know he's basically out here fighting in garages after retiring from uh, wrestling
1: how, how sad is that the guy's yeah. fighting in garages for god's sakes bare knuckle fights and oh what well, he couldn't have been He can't be making any money doing
0: that. No, like it's, it's fight club. Like he's he probably wouldn't win all his fights either. I'm guessing. No. And I I think it's, but that's what we like. I think it's just something like mentally. I feel like that had to just be something for him. That was, I don't know, like everything had sort of gone wrong and it's like, Hey, I'm still a wrestler. Like I'm still this tough guy and I'm going to prove it. Um, of course, you know, we, we'd have no idea what he was thinking in reality, but it's just, like, you have to wonder, like, that is something that goes into it, Um when you have a guy that just is out of the spotlight, and that, we've always said that, too, like, with guys who just come out of the spotlight, like, that's such a big part of it, Um, you know, that camaraderie has always been something that, that wrestlers have talked about, you know, when they say, what's the one thing you miss the most, or, you know, what are the things you miss the most, like, they always talk about that as being just a camaraderie, and stuff like that, and, um yes it's much different you know being in a, a wrestling locker room in the WWF versus yeah. fighting in a garage but yeah. but still like it's you have some semblance of camaraderie there I guess but um yeah like like that's just I think again th- th- there's no way to know just the, the impact a lot of this stuff could have on the psyche of, of anyone even just a normal person but I think for someone like this, and and as we, we, I mean, there's no, there's no denying some of the bad things. Just in terms of, I mean, they were talking about the incident with, I think it was Tom Snow, and, um, you know, all those different things. And we talked about all the stuff with his wife, even to the point of, I mean, the, the, the most significant one, just in terms of, um, you know, can kind of make your stomach turn a little bit. uh, Was talking about just the, the physical abuse with his wife after she told him to leave, and you know, she's pregnant at the time, and he's getting a gun and, and threatening her and all this other stuff. Um, but it's just like, man, there's there so many things probably, probably just messed up uh, in terms of what that guy was thinking at that point in his life, and really, as we said, throughout uh, a lot of his sort of downfall there at that point. And you
1: even think of just some of the stuff that that was left out. Like I was just thinking, when you're talking about the camaraderie and backstage and all that stuff, and the friends that Dynamite had, and uh, towards the end, Diamite pretty much had. No friends. All these people were gone pretty much. Uh, I think the guys who appeared on the show, like Spivey and Scott McGee, were pretty much it. And uh, one guy that uh, wasn't really touched on on the show too much, uh, Davey Boy Smith, you know. Uh, You know, there was a point where Davey Boy became the British Bulldog, and Diamond Kid was not allowed to use that term to promote himself in uh, certain shows in England. And this not touched on on this show, but it's a a prime example of how Diamond is kind of left behind after, you know, after he left the business pretty much and went back to England and everybody just kind of forgot about him. And that, that has to wear on a person. That's how you end up in a back alley doing bare knuckle fights or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, Meltzer touched on as well how my kid has been pretty much not completely forgotten, obviously, because we have we're doing a podcast on him, for God's sakes. And did the dark side of the ring on, on him. But he'll probably never get the credit he deserves or Warrens because it's one of those stories that, you know, we, we like to talk about happy endings. We like to talk about positive stories. That's why we like to talk about uh, guys like Mick Foley, who have had a happy ending. Uh, guys like Ric Flair, who have been through a lot of stuff, but he's still alive and kicking. You know, Bret, Hart, Bret Hart's had a great turnaround. Shawn Michaels, of course, found God. We like to kind of focus on those stories and stuff, you know, stories like uh, guys like uh, Die My Kid or, you know, his his uh, project Chris Benoit.
0: Yeah, it's um and I think there's there's something to that. You talk about just the forgotten aspect and you know, I mean, I think one of the, Julia was I think Julia was the one that mentioned sort of the last memory she had of him was him just sitting there like showing her highlights of the Tiger Mask match and all this other stuff and yeah. that like that just kind of I think that sort of proves that point of just just like, you know, when you're a guy in that spotlight, no matter who you are, like if you're on that stage of a professional wrestler in you know, a company like that, or or just, you know, even in Japan, like all the stuff he did, um, you know, those are, again, not being in that position, I can only imagine just sort of the the adrenaline and what it's like to lose that. um, and, And to kind of look back and know that maybe you don't have the opportunity. And that's why I think sometimes we laugh about it. But it's like, this is why guys come out of retirement so much is it's just it's impossible to replace um, with just a normal life. And, and that's the theme we've always talked about with, with wrestlers, especially from that era, I think. Um, but really any era, I think it's just hard to replace that particular feeling. And you talk about positive endings. I mean, I don't know that, you know, we, we know what ultimately happens, uh, with dynamite kid, but I know the, the one daughter, uh, Bronwood had talked about, you know, just going on a whim and visiting him and, him, you know, apologizing and that sort of stuff. I mean, if there is something, you know, coming out of it, uh, you, you look at sort of how his daughters are turned out. Obviously, we don't know everything they've been through. But um, seemingly right now, you know, everything you kind of hear them talk about it and kind of recall their memories and all that. Um, but I think that was at least, it's not going to give you that ultimate happy ending, but, um, I guess for, for at least one of his daughters, you know, to have that moment and to at least get sort of that apology for everything that they went through, because again, we probably don't even know the half of it. Um, that, that's at least something you can get on and say, well, there's, there's something positive you can take out of it.
1: I guess there were, I will say though, there were three kids and we only saw two.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So one of them didn't feel like appearing on camera for this.
0: No, good point. I,
1: mean, sir, I don't want to, delve into, I don't want to you know, uh, make assumptions here, but uh, one of them was not interested in being on his show.
0: Yeah, it's... I'll say about that. It's, I mean, it's, like we said, who knows? I mean, there... It is, it, like, it's impossible. And that I think we talk about that. We said that with the Ultimate Warrior thing, too, with Dark Side of the mm-hmm. Ring, like... In the one hour they have, there's probably so many other things like you could, you know, there's a lot of other stuff you could do, but um, that's why I think in, you know, some of the part twos we prior, the two-parters we probably look at, you know, maybe in somewhat higher regard than some of the others, although, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case with every one of them, but it's just having more time to dive into what is a very complicated, um, you know, story and legacy for some of these people that are profiled on Dark Side of the Ring. Um, That is that is not always easy to do. And um, there's lots of things I'm sure they could have went into uh, even more. But I guess we can transition to Bret Hart because, I mean, I I think for me and I don't, you know, recency bias is a thing, but we've watched so many of these. Maybe I'm just doing, you know, the recency bias thing. But I thought this was probably the best one, best A&E one I can remember sort of just from this group that they've had. Uh, here in this little run. Uh, I mean, I, I we talked about the flaws with some of the ones that they, they certainly put together, uh, the Randy Savage one in particular. Um, I thought that, you know, the Warrior one was a lot better than, than I expected, but, but I really felt like this Brett one was a case of maybe it's just me knowing what the story is of Brett and to actually see this guy at the very end, like smiling and seemingly as happy as he is like you could have never probably predicted that based on everything that he's gone through and i think for them to sort of you know pack that into a couple hours and go through all the different things that that he has gone through i just felt like at the end of this i'm like i actually feel good that this guy is is where he is right now seemingly yes brett's still going to have grudges like th- then there's reasonable i think there's reasons for it like sometimes i think we give this guy too much and it's not you know it's just that we always know like there's going to be a portion of people that will will kind of take the opinion they want to take and, and take the side they want to take. But I mean, it's like when some people say that, that Bret Hart, you know, comes across as bitter and all that. If I'm Bret Hart, I'm probably coming across just as bitter because of some of the things that have happened to him. Um, you know, and, and I just look at this and I'm like, this guy actually seems like he's happy. And probably, you know, there was a point a decade ago where you didn't know if that was going to be the case.
1: Yeah, there was a point where Bret Hart seemed bitter. That that has gone away for a while now, and I think there are people that they won't recognize that. You know how people like to, you know, people like to harp on things. They see one thing, and that becomes their snapshot of that person for the rest of their life. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Bret Hart wasn't bitter back in the early 2000s. Well, for me, that I missed that decade. You yeah. know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he wasn't. I mean, it it was what it was there. But uh, these days, you see a man that's uh. Come to terms with his put with his place in the wrestling business. Uh, you know he's he's figured things out. He under, He's got a broader uh, sense of himself now. I guess would be the best way to put it. And can we also talk? I just want to kind of talk about the man's wardrobe choices for the show. <laughs> Some of those sh- those shirts. He had a number of shirts on this show. My gosh, I don't know who designs that stuff. It is just <laughs> it is fantastic. I'm telling you, my goodness. Um, I don't know if that's. <laughs>
0: Let's I just see wanted if we to can,
1: shout that out.
0: We can get, see if we can get some of that. Yeah. See if we can get. I know, some But
1: uh, and also, I think it helps. that you have I always think these shows are better when you and it seems to be true from top to bottom. These shows are better when you have people on these shows that actually know these people. Yeah. We had a very limited uh, number of people on this show that didn't actually know Bret Hart. You didn't see like there's no there are no Bubba the Love Sponge figures on this show. Right. I mean, me, Sam Roberts is probably the closest you got, but Sam Roberts didn't say anything bad about the guy. So, yeah. uh, and so you had a bunch of people that knew him, and you had you had guys. That, it's interesting to see the kind of guys. Uh, I'm also kind of interested by the newer or younger guys. I don't know why I'm calling Edge or D G- McIntyre young. Never mind. None of those guys particularly young. I guess current. The WWE superstars. They're younger than Bret Hart. Yeah. They're younger than Bret Hart, that's <laughs> true. But it's interesting to see the current WWE superstars appear on these various shows and uh, Edge and Drua. I don't recall them being on too many of the other shows. So it's kind of interesting they pop up here. And, you know, it's interesting to see who's here and who's not here. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier where Bret and Julie's relationship it seems to be a much better place now because, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the Bret Hart book. Uh, back in 2003 I think it was mid 2000s yeah. and that's where a lot of the bitter narrative comes from because uh, the, most of the book is from a very bitter place and you know you get the, you get a lot of interesting stories like all his dying my kids stories are in there uh, a lot of the Anvil Nightheart stories a lot of uh, Dave Boy Smith stories a lot of stories about everybody pretty much well no bad Owen stories because Owen didn't have bad stories but everybody else <laughs> man everybody else in that family had some stories and uh, they're all in that book and uh, Julie had some stories in there too. And Brett told a lot of stories about himself. And I was kind of inter- one of the things that interested me uh, in Brett's book. Uh, he's Brett seemed pretty proud of his status as a ladies' man. And he seemed uh, not too understanding of why Julie might be offended by that. And here he comes across like a guy who kind of realizes, you know, maybe I was a shitty husband back in the day. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't very good of me, and now, now he's kind of uh, you know he's apologized for that, and they're in a better place now. So that was nice to see. And another thing I noticed, uh, one of the main things I noticed was uh, Vince's appearances in in the show. And I think Vince looks back now at Bret Hart uh, when he back when he was WWF champion, and he re- probably realizes that with all the champions that came after Bret Hart, he took Bret for granted back then. Yeah, <laughs> because most of these champions that came along after him. Uh, We're not uh not nearly as good
0: well i mean and i think from the very beginning like that was they had in the first couple of minutes but we've always known like brett wanted to be the best like that was i think he even said that like he you know that was it like it was a goal was he wanted to be the best and um you know and that was kind of you got that theme you know just from out looking back at, i always love like looking back at the the stampede footage and all that stuff and um, just kind of, you know, looking back at everything and, and just, yeah, you know, he's talking about, um, just, just growing up, like in the family that he grew up in and you look at the the wrestling tree and just all the connections, as we said, going back to Dynamite kid and just all the, you know, the, the marriages and everything that just tied all of these people together. Um, and, and really just, I think that you talk about that relationship between Brett and Julie and it's like, that was part of it. Like Brett wanting to be the best, like that was ultimately going to impact. The situation with the family and like brett was i think in this like he was talking about having to to sneak his suitcase out and you know the kids are emotional and and they just they didn't want him to leave but he kind of said after that he's like look like i really never came back after that you know sort of that when he started that run um you know at that point with the wwf and it's just like you're on the road and he said it like 300 plus days a year and the impact that can have on your family but like this was a guy that was absolutely driven to be the best. And I think that's why some of those bitter feelings he had were understandable because yes, like the Goldberg thing, like that was completely out of his control. Certainly the stuff with Owen, Um, you go back to the, you know, the situation with with Montreal and just the the stuff with Sean and Vince. And like, these are a lot of things that I, I think one of the, like Brett to me is someone that, you know, you don't want to be remembered for that stuff. Like you want to be remembered just for, as good as this guy was, like, again, is probably one of the best wrestlers that's ever done the profession. Like that's, that's what he wants to be remembered for. And not necessarily all of the stuff that is, that has sort of happened to him uh, because it has been a lot. And um, I think that is, that is something that stood out for me. And this is like, this guy has become, you know, seemingly so happy because I feel like he is, he is finally maybe got, I mean, you're never going to replace the stuff that happened. But, like, I feel like he's finally started to feel like that story is maybe getting a little more back to appreciating Bret Hart, you know, the wrestler for what he did versus just looking at what happened to Bret Hart and all the things that he went through um, that necessarily, you know, were not in his control.
1: And I've always thought, too, and I think this morning, when you look back at Bret Hart's matches today, they still hold up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they hold up better than most of his peers. I, I, I would say completely his agree with that his hold yeah. up like that. Those performances, and he could have them against anybody up and down the roster. He just he was the kind of guy who just he could have a great match with a broomstick. I guess that's the old saying, but. Uh, Another interesting quote uh, from the show. You know, Natty, Natty Nutter is on the show a lot, which is good because, you know, Natty's a well-spoken person. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how she compared uh, how she compared Brett to being like the the inmate in the uh, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yes, that was and it. And Doe being the asylum. It kind of makes you understand. Natty comparing Doe to an asylum. Huh. <laughs> huh. Well, I, I found that kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe May she's not talking about today's Doe But uh, then again, I don't know. Maybe she... Maybe. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just I,
1: saying if I had my whole life on a reality show, I might feel like I'm in asylum too.
0: Uh, yeah, probably so. <laughs> um I think that yeah, there, there's probably a lot of truth to that when it comes to uh the the way things are. And it was just I mean, yeah, I think that's it. I, I always like Natalia on these two because like it's I mean, she is like she's a very good representative, I think, of just not just telling the story, but like she she is someone, you know, that's kind of still here in the business and like, she's, she's doing the things she's doing. And, um, yeah, like she, she always comes across well, anytime she talks about, um, the, the stuff with, with Brett or anything else. But I mean, really, I think that, I think Brett made a comment in this and, and I, I'm pretty sure like he had, and he's probably said this before, but you know, he's like, I think the quote was like, I had as much reason as anybody like to hate wrestling and like he's like he's right like he does like like he and that's why I think I'm I just look at this and I'm like to me this was the best one they've done because I felt like they they captured that story perfectly in terms of like that quote right there says it all like this is a guy that at the end of this documentary like we could have had a five minute you know Bret Hart rant about you know Goldberg and and all these other things and Vince and Sean but like I mean, just him getting emotional, talking about the, the, the handshake with Sean and, like, that appearance on Raw a decade ago. And it's just like, that's a different Bret Hart than, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago. Yeah. Um, it's just a much different guy now. And I think that is something, certainly, we talk about finding positives. That is a glaring positive when you talk about just his overall story.
1: He has a new wife. His family comes over every week. Uh, it uh, it's, yeah. looks like he's yeah, it's, it's doing very well for himself. Um, are we surprised at all that none of his kids got into the business? I don't think so. No. I don't <laughs> think so either.
0: They all learn. <laughs> he he's got enough footage to show them. Um, you know, you can go back to, to wrestling with shadows, you can go he can point out a lot of different stuff. And uh, yes, as you said, I, I think they they probably saw that and were like, ooh, no way. I'm gonna I'm gonna head in the other direction. Um some of the other things yeah. I had in I had in my notes from this, like just anytime i look back and i see bret hart in this lonesome dove role like it's just <laughs> i don't know like that's i had funny. i had not seen that footage in a long yeah. time but like that was just that cracked me up
1: that's a shame too it's funny i mean it's funny how you know brett himself when not Bret himself is one of the best wrestling talkers i think he's a little bit underrated but then it's just funny how sometimes the guys who people who aren't the best talkers in wrestling end up being uh Something in Hollywood. I mean, Batista was never like an A plus promo, and heck, right now I don't think anybody would say Sasha Banks is one of the best talkers in the business. But uh, she's doing pretty well for herself for herself in acting.
0: Yeah, that's just that presence. Yeah, yeah, like it's just that presence, like that that star presence we always talk about. Like those are those are just people, I guess that that have that it factor. And um I mean, that's you know, Brett had it. Like it's uh, there, there's no doubt. Like he is someone that I think's always had it. He's just always been. They didn't
1: show the Aladdin appearance. They didn't show them in genie pants.
0: No. (laughs) They're genie (laughs) pants, unfortunately. No, they they didn't do that. Um, So that's, uh, yeah. Thankfully, that that was the case in it. But uh, I guess really the only other thing, and, and this is something we'll always, like, you know, talk about. I mean, the 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 biggest theme of this is just Brett's relationship with Owen, like we've always talked about it, like we've always heard it, um even before you know what happened happened with owen like you you just knew and you you understood sort of that that brother relationship, but it was like it was different and and Brett has always kind of talked about it that way, like it was just different with him and Owen. Versus you know the other brothers and, and all him and Bruce and the rest of them, yeah, yeah it's right. Like weird it's just... it's a
1: family of twelve. I mean, I think I yeah. suppose when you have that many siblings, you got to pick your favorites.
0: Yeah, well, his favorite was Owen, and he's always made that clear. And I think that as we, I mean, I think we said this on the previous episode. It's like every time this guy has to do one of these, like it can't, it's never going to get any easier to just always have to recall that particular. You know, day and and everything that that came after it, but like I still feel like for him, I mean, look it's it's never when when you see the having to watch the which they play. I, I was I don't want to know if I was surprised, but I don't know that I expected them to actually show you know the the Jr. and Lawler at ringside like Jr. basically you know announcing I want to die. I don't know that I expected them to show that in this, but it never gets easier seeing it. But like. If you want something that's just gonna like punch you in the gut, like that is it. Every time I see it, I've seen it however many times at this point. It's not something I actively seek out, but any time it's been on anything they've ever showed, like it's just like every time you see it, it just punches you in the gut. And then I think you just think back to obviously what Owen could have accomplished, but you also think back just to that relationship he had with Brad, and and I think you really saw that here, even though you know we we've always seen that and all the other stuff. That Brett's ever done, but it's just like every time you see it, it doesn't get any easier.
1: And even if Goldberg had ended his career with that kick, I don't think Brett's career was ever going to be the same after that. No, I mean, if if Montreal wasn't bad enough, if that wasn't going to derail derail enough. I, that was going to be the that was going to be the last straw right there. And I think Brett's uh, last years in business would not have been uh, a satisfying ones for him or for the audience. He would just been going through the motions in w, just uh, you know, cashing the paycheck, doing his thing. And that, that was the last. It's, yeah, it's just I don't know. I always get a little tongue tied talking about that, too, because I remember watching the, watching that show live as it happened. And uh, I would have loved I knew they weren't going to ask Vince about it, because why would they? Yeah, <laughs> as long as you know, they're not going to ask Vince because would, they wouldn't get a good answer. But I would just love to know what uh, may now in 2021. Uh, how Vince does he still justify that decision to himself? of them continuing that show, because I know when I was watching that show, it was the first time, I was 15 years old, uh, almost 15, and it was the first time when I I was sitting there watching the main event that I just did not give a fuck.
0: No, not at all. Um, I tell you this, and and there's obviously been a lot of people talk about that night and that moment over the years. Um, As we said, I mean, we know, like, Brett's thoughts on it, but it's just, like, one of the... And I, like, I don't think best is the word, but if you just want like one of the most sort of a, I, probably emotional, like I think that's the best way to put it. Of course, Jeff Jarrett has his podcast now, My World, with with Conrad. And Jeff Jarrett, there was a, I want to say it was close to three hours. They did an episode on just Owen and, and that Jeff probably spent, I want to say it may have been like 30 to 45 minutes like of that episode recalling like, that night, which, as we know, like, Jeff was the one who had to just go cut the promo with Deborah right after it happened.
1: And, and they'd been on the road together for what, the last year or so. Is the yeah, they had been yeah. on the
0: road. They were they had just Um, what was it? Jeff had he had said that they had you know, they used to, like, change that they wanted to change, like in sort of a, a hidden spot or something, like just to sort of get away from the crowd and that. And I think he and Owen had been like in a different dressing room that was kind of away from everything um and i certainly don't want to put words in his mouth but he he recalled the story and just sort of what it was like for him and just sort of that you know if you're just looking you're like you feel like you have so many different things going on in every part of your senses like you're looking in all these different directions and you know he's just recalling seeing like Owen and him coming back and and them doing this and at the same time like he's being told hey you know you've got to go cut your promo like you've got to go do this now and like i tell you that that is i cannot recommend that enough like that's probably one of the the best i don't know again i'm I, i'm just saying best just in terms of like listening to podcast episodes that uh really if you want just the human element and the emotional element like, that is just an unbelievable uh, couple hours conversation there with, with Jeff Jarrett. That was one of that. I want to say it's like one of maybe his second, third episode of the, that podcast. He's done several now. But um, it is just an unbelievable thing to listen to. And and like we said, I mean, we, we tie that back to Brett. And, you know, you can only imagine just sort of, again, having every time that comes up, you're always going to think about that. And it's always going to bring out sort of those memories. And, and that's why I always go back to like, he was ex- Brett's exactly right when he says that he has as much as reason as anybody to hate wrestling because he absolutely did not just you know for everything that happened to him personally um, with the Goldberg thing and the you know Montreal but like the stuff with Owen like he he does but for him to actually be at this point where he is seemingly at peace uh, with how his life has turned out uh, that that is quite something.
1: And I, 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 it's probably an impossible request to make, but I would like to request that nobody ever make Bret Hart sit down and talk about Montreal again.
0: Yes, I'm sure. And he would. <laughs> uh,
1: may not talk about Owen Hart's death again either. Just uh yes. <laughs> so I think he's I think he's had to sit down and talk about both those topics more and enough for one lifetime. So if we could avoid that in the future, I think that'd be good. I think he's said everything he has to say on
0: both pieces. This felt like to me I mean I, <laughs> I think this is like if if he doesn't do anything else documentary wise, if no one ever does another documentary on Bret Hart, I honestly think like this was as good of a job you could have done. Um, I, given that the time frame of the two hours, I honestly believe that. So I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't even know if there's a reason to do another one on it because, um, you know, it's just, I felt like they, they really hit all the points here in this one. And, um, I think this was, again, I, I think this is probably the best one they've done. So.
1: And I, I and I do think that uh, once he realized that it's a Montreal is a better story when he breaks about punching Vince man down, I think that really <laughs> turned really kind of turned the corner. Like, it's, you know, early on, back in the 2000s, he would, you know, talk about how it was such a tragedy about how title was taken from him. But then, like in later years, you notice how he's kind of changed the story to where he kind of emphasizes the part where he knocked Vince out. And you can? Can you believe there's still people that defend Vince's side? Good lord, those people! Oh god, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> you know,
0: there, there's another documentary there. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna do a documentary on all the people who still think, you know, that you kind of look at Vince's situation there. And um, yeah, I, I, I am with you. I don't think that there's any need for for Brett at this point. Uh, but it's Brett. How old is Brett? He's sixty going to look it up here. He's well, 63. I sixty-three, I think. Yeah. So he's going to turn sixty-four here in a couple of weeks. Um, so yes, like I, I just come on, like let's just let the guy enjoy his life because he is at least from what we see, like finally more happy. And let's just sort of uh let him enjoy it, uh because it it seems like uh yes having to relive all this stuff. But I, I think they did a pretty good job uh, with this one in particular. So. Uh, anything else steve on uh, either one of these as we said this is sort of our um you know we've got no more wwe E biographies uh but uh, we will have dark side of the ring to talk about here uh, in several months once they once they make their return
1: yep uh coming back in september that's uh that's gonna be interesting i uh forget most of the topics which is probably a good thing so we'll we'll be surprised together folks we'll be surprised at what's coming <laughs> up but uh it was an interesting ride. Uh, the A and E stuff, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, the it was, you know, if we uh, do we want to talk about the ratings too much because we know there the ratings kind of yeah. uh, tailed off for a little bit. They did uh, take a uh, bump up a little bit. Um, it's kind of it's just kind of interesting to see which ones kind of drew more interest. I want I do wonder if that Macho Man one just kind of turned people off. After they saw that one, it's like, oh, my God, I I wonder because they kind of they took a turn after that one.
0: I wouldn't be Um, surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all, because I I just think that that's where if you put all of these now, having watched all of them, if you put them like that to me is just so far. That's that's (laughs) among
1: the worst of wrestling. You can put that with the worst uh, wrestling documentaries of all time, quite honestly.
0: I'm with you. (laughs) Like, I think, again, watching if I had to sit here like in the next if I had Four hours here, and you told me, "All right, the next four hours, you need to watch two documentaries." And you say, "All right, watch The Macho Man and watch Bret Hart." Like completely different ends of the spectrum for me uh, in terms of just what what you see uh with those two. So, yeah, that was th- that was just awful. Um, now I, if they
1: ask you to watch. Uh, are you gonna watch the Macho Man documentary, or are you gonna watch Heroes of Wrestling? <laughs> well,
0: I would, I would probably yeah. still watch the Macho Man documentary. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know though, like. Yeah, because I think it gets harder to watch the Heroes of Wrestling at this point because you look back on it and you're like, Oh man. Like at that <laughs> at the time, like you look back oh, on it and you're boy. like, yikes but At the time that was yikes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That that show that was a that was know, a disaster. Yeah. Oh. So I guess that that Somehow the Macho Man A and E one still was able to stay above that bar, but um maybe not by much. But I also
1: liked I liked seeing the Dream Team reunite night this week as well in the uh, Most Wanted Treasure Show. that yes. was nice to see Bruce Barber and Greg the Hammer again back together. That was pretty cool.
0: Those have been entertaining. Um, I think you know those if you know what you're getting with them at this point, like you know kind of what the the series is going to look like. But I think for anyone that like enjoys that kind of stuff, which which I do, I know you do, like it's just it's different like it's not sort of you know this what we're getting with dark side of the ring or like these biographies it's just a much different more casual sort of fun um you type did. Of situation
1: now you had jake the snake blaming the honky-tonk man for his drug addiction i thought that was pretty well, <laughs> that's <was> pretty
0: interesting <laughs> jake
1: jake jake's an you know he's okay it's a damn honky-tonk man him with the guitar
0: yeah
1: I oh my gosh! I love like I Jake
0: in anything at this point. Like you just you listen to him, and and obviously we talked about it on the last episode. Just I mean to hear him talk about the the Grizzly Smith stuff and all that. But it's like you know to hear Jake. Oh, like he but does. he
1: still works sometimes though. He's still working sometimes. You can see it. Oh yeah, I, Jack, I, I love Jake. Don't get me wrong, but you can tell he's 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 got his stories to tell sometimes. You know, like yeah. like the honky tonk man. But I'm sure they called honky tonk man. Get his response and honky talk uh, had a lot of four letter words in response to. It.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, Jake is, yeah, Jake's one of a kind. That's for sure. Uh, well, like we said, uh, here you go. I've got a got a list of some of the topics uh, for the second half of season three. Uh, you're going to have the, the steroid trial. So you're going to have, you know, the the U.S. versus Vince McMahon. Um, yeah. That's one of the ones we already, we talked about Plane Ride from Hell. It's another one. Uh, the Chris Canyon episode. I think that's one that. Um, mm, that could be a sad one. Yeah, that could be an interesting one. Um, you've got XPW in there, Luna Vashon. Um, so yeah, there's some, there's some interesting topics. I think that, um, you know, some of them should, should be pretty fascinating to kind of see who they get for some of these too, uh, because th- there's a, a lot of different directions you could go with some of those. So, um,
1: I don't yeah. recall Jim Cornette making a XPW appearances, but, uh,
0: <laughs> well, he'll, he'll probably have something to say. Um, um but... <laughs>
1: he always does. Uh, no Jim Cornette this week on the show has, uh, that's somewhat surprising
0: yeah that's that's very true so uh jim Cornette usually has something to say um so yes that is uh my guess that he'll he'll especially have something to say about some of those uh for sure but uh steve like we said that is um you know at least for for now this is going to be our uh mid mid-season break on the the dark side of the ring stuff that we discuss here on the podcast but uh, i know we've got a lot of other wrestling still happening out there and we'll be uh discussing some of that of course you're on the podcast as well uh, moving forward but for now uh anything you want to plug i know uh, as we're recording this on saturday night, your uh top seven hell in a cell matches uh will go up on um tonight actually midnight so it'll be up on sunday for people who want to read it four one mania uh that's an interesting list uh looking back at it but uh we we probably all have a pretty good idea of what number one is but i i won't spoil it in case you you've never seen it before i will i will not spoil a number one pick for you
1: if you've never seen that match before i definitely know why you're listening to this podcast be honest with you but i <laughs> it's tough to avoid that one but uh you know some interesting matches on the list i thought and uh not to de- delve into the, to the order too much but uh between you and me let's be honest uh the, over the last few years if it wasn't for the Women's Hell in the Cell matches, the gimmick would be better than, mm. better than, door, better than a doornail. My God, because some of these men's matches the past few years, woof. <laughs> woof, you can say about them, right? I mean, anything of Bray Wyatt, of course, just awful. You know, just so, thank goodness for Sasha Banks is all I can say, because <laughs> she is keeping that gimmick viable, am I right?
0: Yeah, she's uh, she's done pretty well in those. Um, yeah, I, I think the... If not for that, and I think even, you know, having the Roman Reigns character we have, but I think there's no doubt that... Um,
1: the 2020 ones were okay, but man, like 19, 18, 17, I mean, anything of Bray Wyatt was straight trash. Let's and, just be honest, know,
0: Seth Rollins versus Bray Wyatt, to me, is just ultimately always going to be the one where I'm just like, that that's is... That's in that realm. That's in that hero's wrestling <laughs> realm. Just the worst, oh, Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't even know how that was. Uh, I think yeah, Duncan. Roman Reigns and
1: Braun, Braun Strowman with a non-finish. That was that was good. Uh, just you know, just they 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 really tried to kill it, the gimmick off for God's sakes. Uh, oh, thank that's... goodness for the women. And also, over on the chair, we'll mention the Chairshot.com this week because that's where we have the NXT Takeover in your house betting odds.
0: Oh yes.
1: So they they, they finally came out with those. I was a little worried they wouldn't because of. Just how interested people seem to be in the show. I don't know what's going on. Quite honestly, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been watching NXT, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah you've like, been watching.
0: It's 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 different, but I feel like like every I feel like every era of NXT, like when you you sort of reshuffle the roster and you kind of have you know for however long it is, like whatever the trend is of. Whether it's, you know, you kind of have your same people on top for six months or a year or whatever. Or in NXT's case, two years, three years, four yeah. years,
1: which kind of builds into what I've been talking about here with uh, with this whole five way main event with Carrying Cross and the four other guys. And it's just, I don't know, it just feels so eh. And I've pretty much decided that Carrying Cross to me, doesn't he kind of look like that bouncer at the Gentleman's Club? <laughs> he's dating one of the dancers. And meanwhile, you've got these four guys, they're regulars, they've been there forever. It's kind of sad that they still keep coming around. So yeah, NXT's uh, real title scene is like a strip club, pretty much.
0: Well, you're not going to get any other description like that on any other podcast, so um, that's why you come here for the 411 on wrestling, and uh, you come here for Steve's analysis um, on, uh, the NXT champion as a strip club bouncer. Um, that's, that's what we give you here and we give it to you for free. It's not, it doesn't get any better than that. So, um, yes, be sure to check out all of these stuff over at 411mania. Uh, check it all out. We'll have the links to everything as usual in the show notes. And we'll also have the link to the GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family. Uh, be sure to continue to share and contribute if you can. Uh, everything else, 411mania.com. As we talked about NXT takeover in your house, we'll have coverage of that over on the site and uh, the usual shows throughout the week and then Hell in a Cell uh, next weekend. So check it all out there. Subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use. and find us there. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will talk to you next time here on 411 on Wrestling Podcast.